Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast that has been going for three and a half years now. And in that time, we've released 337 episodes. A number of Christmas episodes and best-of episodes, two listeners' episodes, and even a tribute to Queen Elizabeth II. And in all of them, apart from the last one, obviously, we've asked our guests to choose five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. Four things they cherish or would like to revisit and one thing they wish they could erase from their memory by burying it in the ground, out of sight, out of mind, forever. And so we come to episode 338 of my time capsule, where my guest is the presenter and DJ Simon Parkin. A professional broadcaster for over 30 years, Simon became a well-known TV presenter through his work on Children's BBC, where he introduced shows sat in the broom cupboard, as well as presenting But First This, Top of the Pops and The Ozone. He now presents Simon Parkin in the morning on BBC Radio Somerset. In the early 1990s, he left the BBC and went over to the dark side, or ITV as it's known, where Simon was one of the launch stars of the new breakfast television station, GMTV. And in the years that followed, he worked across the ITV network presenting programmes for Yorkshire Television, Granada, HTV West, West Country and finally Meridian, where he presented the weather on the nightly news programme until 2017. Simon has lived in Somerset since 1998 with his wife Selina, his two children, Emily and Charlie, and Pebble the dog. He was one of the first people to help me publicise this podcast when he interviewed me about it on the radio in the week that our first episode with Stephen Fry was released. So it seems somewhat overdue that I return the favour and ask him to tell me the five things he'd want in a time capsule. And here they are. I never do Zooms at home, so this is the, the we practised like three hours ago, we set everything up and my son has <laughs> lent me a microphone and all of this kind of stuff, but it's like, well, I did the most awful recording, I always do stuff at work, and we were offered the opportunity to interview Brendan O'Carroll, mm. um, his autobiography came out, it's really interesting, and he could only do it on a Sunday, so he had to do it from home, so... I had this 10 minutes with Brendan O'Carroll that turned into half an hour where he's at one end going, no, I don't know how you do that. Click on that. My wife came in and my son came in and all of it to try and get this recording that eventually 
we then got going and I basically did it on my phone via the speaker, <laughs> via something, because I just couldn't get it to work. Yeah, so. that often happens. It's often the people that you would expect to be really brilliant at it, you know, in a way who work in that medium. Yeah. You do DJing all the time, so you would expect you to know how to go in there and plug everything in. But of course, you don't do that, do you? No, somebody else does that for me. I just talk. Yeah. <laughs> but it's lovely to see you because... Uh, we sort of came together talking about this, didn't we? Well, it was on the day it launched. It yeah. was the day you came on the radio programme. And obviously, I, knowing you from Radioactive and KYTV and all of the things that I've seen you in, when you were offered up, it was like, oh, my God, yeah, we've got to get him on. Oh, nice. And then I then went home and listened to the podcast with Stephen Fry. And the interview, and it sounds like I'm blowing smoke up you, and I don't mean to, <laughs> but you, Stephen Fry has been interviewed so many times, and to hear things that I never heard about Stephen Fry. And that's the joy of your podcast is that all of them that I've listened to, you get stuff out of people that that you just wouldn't ordinarily hear. And part of that is because of your easy way with them. And the other thing is obviously because of the format that you're using, it sort of provokes different memories and different stuff. Well, it was lovely talking to you. I did talk to a lot of people that day and uh, you did the best. Uh, enough of me. Let's talk about you. If yeah. you must, if you must. <laughs> but you're way more interesting than me, so you may have a rethink. Well, if you say days. that, we shall find out. I think that actually, I love the idea that you made this decision a long time ago that has become your life. Yeah. Now, I think I was about seven Amazing. when I realised. I wanted to be James Bond beforehand, <laughs> which again was a lofty ambition for a six-year-old. But when I was seven, I kind of, I was listening to, it was Tony Blackburn did The Golden Hour on Radio 1 and he would play the songs from a certain year. And my mum and dad had, do you remember the big Reader's Digest book sets of albums? Yes. And and so we had the <laughs> 60s one. And so every album was a different year. Mm -hmm. And so I sat in the front room at the Radiogram and put the needle on the record and then spoke in the bits in between and then clearly thought, oh, I could, I could possibly do this. And then I kind of realised that that was, broadcasting was kind of what I wanted to do. And Thank God I tried hard enough and had the lucky breaks and Touchwood still doing it. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to have that idea as a child. And in a way, first of all, for it not to be driven out of you, that other mm. people didn't say, well, no, no, hang on a minute. It was left open to you. Well, also, and I guess acting would have been a similar sort of thing where no, I, we didn't know anybody who worked in broadcasting or acting or anything like that. So my dad was quite sensible and he was like, yeah, but proper job. And school <laughs> were very much a kind of go to the careers officer. Well, yes, but what are you really going to do? And I'm thinking, I don't want to work in a bank. Mm. And and so to, to have this sort of dream, maybe that fuels you more, maybe. Maybe that then pushes you in. They don't think I can do this, so I can do it. But yeah. no, it is, it's a very weird thing to have found what I wanted to do and be lucky enough to still be doing it. And I sort of feel that as the parental thing when my kids were growing up and they were kind of going, oh, I want to do this. And part of me was thinking, just try. You yeah. know, the, what's the worst that can happen is you don't achieve it. And then the serious grown-up people is going, yeah, but you've still got to do your GCSEs. You've got to study. <laughs> you've got to work hard. And all the while I'm thinking, no, I didn't do any of that. And no. it's, it sort of turned out all right. Yeah, so, okay, let's look at the things you've got in your time capsule then. Okay, the very first thing I have to put in, and I'm very specific about this, is BBC Television Centre. Ah. Now, I have, I've been to the new television centre and stood on the outside, <laughs> and it looks amazing. Mm. But BBC Television Centre, with all its ricketiness and all of the, the things that were wrong with it, <laughs> is the place that when I got the opportunity to go through those gates and the commissioner had my name on a list and let me in, and then I ended up working there for, for like four years, is just the most amazing building. Every day I went to work thinking, I cannot believe I am working in this building that I'd seen on the TV. I'd seen on when Blue Peter did the, the bands coming in and I'd be looking and thinking, wow, look at those doors. Mm -hmm. that oh, you can see where the curtain ends. What those wires <laughs> all about? And then to, to be in the building was just an incredible thing. And also I was very fortunate that it was in the 1980s when I was working there. And so security was was that as, as long as you're in the building, you can do what you like. <laughs> so I, w I would go in and I'd be doing the children's TV stuff that we were doing. It was up on the, the office was on the sixth floor and the studio was this funny little cupboard 
at the back of where they used to do the old grey whistle test, Pres B, it was called, very little tiny studio. And downstairs was all of the good stuff. So I'd go on, we had a little slot that went out at 10 o'clock in the morning and then at 11 o'clock, my friend and colleague Andy Peters and I, would we would go down to reception and we'd say to the nice lady on the reception desk, Oh, what's in today? She'd get a clipboard out. She'd say, right, have a look at this. And, and we'd look at all of these programmes and some of them we knew and some of them we didn't. And we'd look at who was in it and we'd then go for a little wander around the donut and look at the dressing room doors. <laughs> oh, my God, Jennifer Saunders is in there. And you could just go anywhere. And so I was lucky enough to just from a random, right, I'll go half an hour to kill, go and see part of the pilot of Bottom, being filmed. Wow. And a guy called Roger Fenner, you'll know Roger Fenner. Yes, I do. Camera yeah. supervisor mm-hmm. at the BBC. And we went in and they were doing rehearsals and it, there's Rick and A doing whatever they're doing. And Roger Fenner says, you know, I think this might work. And we, we watched for 20 minutes and then went off and did something else. And then another one was absolutely fabulous. I, I had a, a real crush on Julia Sawala. Hmm. So when we saw that she was in the building, I was like, well, I have to meet her. And I'm, I'm socially inadequate and terribly shy, so I was never going to talk to her. But we then went into the pilot of Absolutely Fabulous. And to, to have been there for that, just for that snatch of time, hmm. to see what turned out to be this amazing programme, and to have been there at the start. Hmm. And, you know, I insignificantly standing at the back, chuckling, thinking, wow, look, that, that's... It's Jane Horrocks, you know, and all of that. And you think, what an opportunity. And Television Centre allowed you to just do that because you could go anywhere and nobody minded. And because I was someone who was on air, mm-hmm. I knew all the floor managers and the camera team. So did you just stand at the side of the audience? Yeah, yeah, I would stand at the sort of the front of the audience, but it was in the daytime and they were rehearsing, so there were no audiences in. Uh, right. So, in fact, so that's the best thing, yeah. isn't it? That you could wander oh, in the amazing. studio while they were doing camera rehearsals and things yeah. and just sit in the audience and watch for a bit. Yeah, exactly. And if you didn't want to go down to the studios as well, Television Centre had those funny viewing rooms yes. on the first floor. So you could go in and watch through a piece of glass and there'd be a telly up here and you could see all of this other stuff you going on. You could switch and... from studio to studio as well, couldn't you, on the telly? Yeah, on the ring main. On the ring yeah. main. Mm. Yeah. So I, I would imagine, I'd like to think that at some point I walked past you a television centre, <laughs> in that unique way that you kind of always starstruck, irrespective of who it is that you're talking to. Yeah. I love the fact that as you went round the donut and you wandered around from studio to studio, they all had little cafes outside where you could just yeah. get coffee and, and lunch. The, the Green Assembly tea bar yes. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was an exciting time for television as well, I think. There were lots of amazing things being made. And it is strange, that thing of once you were in, that you had the freedom to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, no security, hardly at all. Top of the Pops, I think, was the only show Mm -hmm. that they had security guards on the door because presumably when the audience came in, it was a whole different set of rules. But if you uh, during the daytime, again, you'd be kind of wandering around. I I was in Green Assembly and by just sheer coincidence, it was my birthday. And my friend Biana had come to have a look at work and it was a Top of the Pops day. And I was ushered into... Someone, one of the music team, the A&R guys or whatever from the record company, Simon, you must come and have a look in here. And I went <laughs> into this dressing room and the bigger dressing rooms were the ones that were downstairs because yeah. they had more space in them. And it was done like some kind of Moroccan tent. It was some <laughs> sort of bizarre whatever. And Duran Duran were in there. Wow. And so suddenly I'm like, having gone through a door, I'm suddenly in the presence of Simon Le Bon and John Taylor. And John Taylor says, is that your birthday? And, you know, that kind of the surreal moment of what? thinking, how does he know that? That's incredible. And and so, I, yes, yeah, thank you. And I'm looking at all of this, whatever. Do you think he had children at the time and he'd seen you in the cupboard? Possibly. Maybe. I don't know, because we would have done it on the telly, because, you know, yeah. we're, we're all about or, you know, know, being ourselves. Star, why not? Why wouldn't so, you watch yeah. the room cupboard? But it, just this weird moment of going into a room that I didn't know one was going to be in there, coming out again. God, John Taylor has just said happy birthday to me. And th- that was the joy of Television Centre. I got to meet all of my heroes or at least walk past them or park my car next to them. The, 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 I, I got on really well with the security team because I was there for so long. And the horseshoe car park mm. where no one could ever park. They let me in. Oh my I, I, used to, I used to be able to occasionally go in. And the day that I parked next to Noel Edmonds Bentley was, <laughs> you know, it was like, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near the man. 
but I'm next to his car. That'll do. That's fine. That'll do. Then twelve year old me going, I cannot believe this is happening. No, and I can't believe you got in the in the horseshoe car park. That's the place. The other side of the BBC that I liked was at the end of the evening, as people were leaving studios, and you would go to give your dressing room key in at reception. Yep. And you would bump into the most extraordinary people from other shows. I once stood at the desk and a man next to me said, sorry, anybody know how I'll get to the car park? And I turned and I said, uh, yeah, I know how to get there, Bobby. And I took Bobby Chilton wow. from the reception to the car park and we chatted all the way. How amazing. It was and of amazing. course you are a Manchester United fan. Yeah, so. Absolutely. You see, I knew Suzanne Charlton, Bobby's daughter. Of course. She was doing the weather at the time. And again, because of the way that the BBC worked, if we wanted to do something weather, one phone call, yeah, come on up, you can do what you like. And so just knowing Suzanne was kind of, that's, <laughs> that gets me close enough to this footballing dynasty. What a great thing then. It's, it is different now. I went in to do something quite recently and I went to what I thought was the reception the old reception building. Yeah. And the person said to me, yes, who are you visiting? And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing a, a television recording. And he said, oh, well, you're in the wrong bit then. This is the residence. And I'd gone to the reception for the houses and the flats that have been built there. Brilliant. But again, the fact there are flats there now, wouldn't you love to live? Wouldn't it be in great? What was somebody important's office? You know, Jonathan Powell used to rule <laughs> BBC One from this very room. But even yeah. reception, and this again, this is one of those things where Television Centre, aside of what was made there, aside of the stars that, that graced that building, hmm. there was a, um, a, you'll remember it, just where the reception desk was, and then there was the big sort of walk up, and there were the lifts here, and there was an escalator yeah. that went. I think it came up. It didn't go down. It no. came up from the basement where VT was, so they'd have these <laughs> massive, great, big, heavy tapes. I've never been in a building that had an, an escalator that wasn't a department store. <laughs> you know, it was like, what an amazing thing. I'm in a building where then they, they had cash machines yeah. outside. And it was like, oh, this just, it was like this whole other world. And I had a pass that got me in. Oh, pass, you see. There's something that I, I only ever had for about a three-month period. And I was working there on script. So they gave me a pass. But as an actor, you every time had to sign in. I once stood behind Judy Dench at the reception and the man's, she said, hello, Judy Dench. And he, he said, yes. He said, I've come to see, I can't remember who it was, but she said this name. And I went, okay, I'll just look them up. And as they were dialing the number to he went, sorry, what was your name again? <laughs> you should be sacked on the spot, I think, if you don't know who Judy Dench is. Well, now there would be no excuse for that. No excuse at all. I mean, she was fairly famous at the time. She was in As Time Goes By, which was one of their biggest hits. Yeah, that was the Jeffrey Palmer, was it? That as well? Yeah, was that, lovely that one? Jeffrey yeah. Palmer. Fantastic actor. Only really interested in getting time off and going fishing. And rightly so. Like a proper good, good actor. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, and it's that thing as well where... I look back now and Doctor Who is something that is very big in my world. And mm. you you would wander around the outside the building was the, the ring road and then there were the, all of the scene docks mm. and there would be a TARDIS there and then would be whatever. And, I, and there are moments where I think, why did I never go and have a look in the Doctor Who studio yeah. when it was in? Only Fools and Horses is another one mm. where I can remember walking past the door because it was always in the studio that was the back entrance. If it, when I wasn't allowed to park in the hall show, I'd park in the, <laughs> the multi-storey. And so you'd go up that back road and you'd walk in and the, I saw a bit of the, the, the nag's head. Yeah. And I never kind of made that connection that it's like, right, now I need to go and stand in here because the future me will love the fact that I was just there. I stood next to the dartboard, <laughs> Mike's behind the bar, all of that kind of stuff, you know. And it, the, the, the missed opportunities are probably... The thing that I will also think, God, that that time has gone. That will never be the same again, not just in that building, but in any building. You know, I was lucky enough to work at the old Thames building in Teddington. Yeah, great. When it was being used by the rubbish TV shows, the book, me. And you kind of think, God, the, the stars that were here, and it was all a bit tatty and it was all mm. a bit not like it should have been, but still the joy of, wow, that's the river. Yeah. And Magpie used to draw on the walls when they did their. <laughs> they used to do the. But Blue Peter had a flashing total. I was a Magpie, had a very long line round Thames Television Studios. I was looking at it thinking, was it there? And you were thinking, okay, if I look closer, would I be able to see the red? And that kind of thing. You're you know? absolutely right, though. That thing of, at the time, not realizing the opportunity that was there, or in fact, how much yeah. you should indulge yourself with it. I do remember 
rehearsing in, in the same studio as Odie Fours and Horses. I was doing a sitcom with the actor Gary Orson, who's sadly no longer with us. Yeah. But he had been at drama school with Emma Bunton. And at one point, she appeared on the balcony at the back of the audience. And she came down and we were all introduced to her and she was really charming and funny and lovely. And then she said, when do you have for lunch? When are you breaking for lunch? And he said, well, about half an hour. She said, well, we've, we've got lunch. Come and have lunch with us. So we went and had lunch with the Spice Girls. Wow. Get that on your CV. <laughs> that was the other thing about television. So you'd go for, for lunch in the canteen or if you were very posh waitress service. Oh, yes. On the second floor, overlooking the hoi polloi down below. But that thing of you you would be in the queue. Thora Heard once pushed in in front of me. <laughs> there was the, the ground floor canteen and then there was the middle floor, which was the posh one. And then there was the, the top one, mm. which on a Sunday was the only one that was open. Mm-hmm. And they were filming Last of the Summer White. And I was in there, I was just hanging around. I don't think I was working. And I was queuing up and Thora Heard pushed in. And ordinarily, you'd be going, oh, wait a minute. And he's like, it's Thora Heard. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. I was going to have that, but that's fine. Thora, you can have whatever you want. But that that amazing thing of like, you'd be paying for your dinner, yeah. chips and gravy with Rene from Hello, Hello next to me. And thinking, <laughs> wow, this is, I am living the dream. It's a different time and a different place. I'm not sure that if a group of television people all gathered together now, we would all recognise each other because television is so dissipated. Yeah. But then it was so concentrated. If you were on television, everybody knew who you were. Yeah. You would know all the other programmes. You would know all the other people in it. It was a very joyous time, I think. We were very lucky to have been involved in it at all. So I don't blame you for putting it into the time capsule was your very first thing. Yeah, lovely building. Even now, just talking about it makes me think, oh, I wish I was still there. Yeah, lovely. Okay, that's number one, Simon. So what's number two? Number two is the time you get to spend with a grandchild. I have one grandchild and he's five and he is just the most lovely child that you could ever wish to meet <laughs> obviously he's not long started school so that could all change but for now he's a joy and a pleasure and i don't think i was a bad dad you'd have to talk to my children about it but i i was certainly had priorities in different places mm. and with your own children there is the fear that you're going to break them all the time. <laughs> there is also that there's 19 other things that you've got to do. So any moment that you are spending with your own children, you're worrying about the washing and that they had tea and are they going to do this? And what about bedtime? They've got to get their homework done. With my grandson, Lucas, I just have time mm. and I don't care about anything else. And the, my phone never rings anyway, but if it does, I'm going to leave it. <laughs> and the most important thing is finding Iron Man Lego Iron Man's mask that we've dropped somewhere <laughs> yeah. in this amazing pile of Lego and sitting and watching him taking the legs off all of these Lego men and putting the blue leg on the one that should be red and getting the joy out of that and seeing that side of childhood that I don't remember from my own childhood. No. And I don't think I was engaged enough with my own children to have understood the joy and the pleasure that comes from it. Mm. Yes, it's difficult as a parent, isn't it? Because the moment that they seem occupied is a chance for you to go and do all the things that you have to do. Yeah. I remember with my children particularly making time to do those things. My dad did it as well, you know, where you would say, okay, tomorrow we're just going on an adventure. Yeah. And then I'd give the day up. But, you know, as an actor, if you weren't working, you knew you could give the day up anyway. So it's fine. Yeah. So I was lucky in that situation. But without a doubt, absolutely, the joy of having grandchildren is quite separate, isn't it, and quite different. Well, also, the the thing about having children is when you say, oh, we're going to have a baby, everyone, oh, it's lovely, it's life-changing, you're going to love it. (laughs) And no one says... Because you're not going to sleep for five years and you're going to be worried and you're going to be stressed and you're not going to have enough money. And so all of those things that you discover (laughs) when you have your own child are like, oh, my God, why didn't nobody warn us about this? Nobody warned me what it would be like to have a grandchild. My parents were both long gone by the time that Lucas came along. So I had no sort of reference point to talk to them. And my Emily was the first of her generation to have a baby. Mm. So there were no yardsticks of anything. And so I, she had her baby in Hull and we were still are living in Somerset at the time. And so when we got the call saying, right, she's gone into labour, we thought, well, it's four and a half hours. It's going to be five hours before we get there. So we, we drove within legal limits <laughs> as fast as we could to get there. Yeah. 
And we arrived in Hull. She'd had the baby and we'd had the phone call saying she's had the baby. Um, if you can get here before seven, you can meet him. And it was about 10 past seven when we arrived at the hospital. And the, the rules were, no, sorry, seven o'clock. Mum's tired. You can't come in. Oh. So we had to wait until tomorrow oh, no. to meet Lucas. And the point at which I remember being given Emily when she was born, and she was very premature, and it had been a, it was like a scene from Casualty where my wife had, uh, waters broke on the Sunday. And I had the, I think I had the busiest week I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> I had like, I was doing a quiz show. So there were five of those a day to do. Yeah. Two days of recording, and I went to the producer and said, like, "Is there any way that if if something happens, I can?" Well, like, I'm really sorry, but no, because we we've, we've got to make the show. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh god, I'm not going to be there. And then, thankfully, Emily was born on the Wednesday, but having induced Selena, nothing had happened, and so then suddenly it was I was there at nine o'clock in the morning, and it was a uh, right. We're going to have to have an emergency C-section. Mm. Gowns on, wellies on. And it was scary and it was all frightening. And also the prospect of being a parent was weighing heavily on my mind. They <laughs> yes, suddenly like, hang on, I don't matter anymore. <laughs> this thing does. And so they, when they handed Emily to me, six weeks early, very tiny baby. And the fact that she was there was kind of enough for me to go, right, that's fine. And then she was ushered away and taken up to special care and all of that kind of stuff. With Lucas, when we met him, the minute he was put in my arms, I said, this lovely sense of calm uh. that I don't think I've ever had before and I probably will never have again. And it was something that was just a, well, I know I'm not going to break him, so probably we're all right here. And just to to look at this tiny little sleeping thing, who had no care whatsoever mm. whose arms he was in, and to think, you know, this is such a, an unusual feeling <laughs> to have and still... I kind of have that feeling when we spend time with him. For a little while, I was his favourite. Mm. And now I've been knocked off the top spot by Nana. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a little bit of me that is kind of slightly riled. But apart from that, it, it is that joy of just, he says, oh, can I do this? He loves his superheroes. And we had this moment where he wanted an Iron Man mask and it was a Sunday afternoon and there was no way that I could go and buy one. Mm. So I got a cereal packet out and made one, <laughs> felt tips and I'm not very good at drawing your art or anything. And he sat and put it on. And it was this lovely moment of thinking, God, I never had that opportunity with my own children no. to be that parent. So to be able to do it for my grandson is just the most lovely thing because we've only got the one. So when we have more, I suspect there'll be different strains and different relationships. Well, they're all different, of course. But actually, I think that feeling is the same, that you are, you can't quite believe that they're there. And also, you're right, that sense of relaxation. As a parent, you're thinking about other things and you've got yeah. other worries. So you don't quite relax. But with a grandchild, because your attention is almost entirely focused on them, you're able to relax. They've got to sleep, so you just go really calm. Yeah, uh, the, the, just that lovely experience that, that I'm so glad I, I have now. That, As I say, I feel guilty for not having had previously but yeah but, but of course when they went to sleep thing. when you were a parent you were thinking oh thank goodness thank now, god I can yeah. sleep i can go to sleep <laughs> for a bit i'm exhausted because also at that age you still want to do all the other things that you feel you ought to do you still want to stay up late you still want to have too much to drink whereas now i just go the grandkids are coming round tomorrow that's it i'll get myself ready i'll make myself yeah fit and able yeah yeah bless him bless him indeed yeah, what a great thing. Okay, what's number three? Okay, sorry to interrupt, but we have to pay for the making of this podcast, and the way we do it is by playing some adverts. So we'll be back after these messages. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back. Sorry about the interruption. If you'd rather we didn't have this break, then you can get this podcast ad-free if you subscribe to Acast Plus for a mere £2.99 a month. Yes, that's all it costs. You'll also get a weekly bonus episode, My Time Capsule, The Debrief. So what more could you want? And that's the end of the ad. So let's get back to Simon Parkin and find out what the rest of his time capsule items are. Shall we? I don't know why I'm asking you. We're going to do it anyway. See? Number three is my wedding ring. It looks like a bit of plumbing. It's enormous. And I have to tell you, it is not my original wedding ring uh. because I did the, the unthinkable and I lost my wedding ring. Mm. In my defence, I was working and I was filming a TV show and it was a kind of one of these sort of hobbies and activities kind of TV show. And we went and did some canoeing. And so, you know, the first thing they do when they put you in a canoe is they do the role. Yeah. And so we did the role and then we did the filming and then we did all of that. And we then had a lovely time and we're in the car on the way back, standard issue, ITV Volvo, we're sitting in the back. And you know, when you suddenly think, wait a minute, my ring's not there. Uh And I looked down and and that moment of the world stopped. I thought, what am I going to do? So we then arrived back at the TV studios and I picked up my car. I thought, how am I going to explain this to my wife? So I went to a leading supermarket on the way home and bought a bottle of wine <laughs> and, and then came in and said, Selena said, oh, how was your day? Oh, yeah, no, it was great. But, but, but there's something I've got to tell you. And I gave her this bottle of wine and she immediately knew something was up. <laughs> and then I said, I've lost my wedding ring. Now, she was more cross that I bought her a bottle of wine as a, as a way of apologising than the <laughs> fact that I'd lost my wedding ring. Um, and so we then, we looked back at the rushes and you can see on the rushes, there's a, I sit in the canoe at the top and I'm holding on to the, the oar. Yeah. And then you can see that as I come out the other end, my ring isn't there. Oh, right. So as you did the roll. Yeah, it did, fell off. And so at the Cotswold Water Park <laughs> is my wedding ring. I'd like to think someone has found it and they've gone... Oh, it's cheap one. Anyway, what's the problem that he lost this, but not a problem? So my wife then very kindly, secretly, didn't tell me that she would make a new wedding ring for me. So my mum and dad were around at the time. And so she got my granddad on my dad's side. He had a signet ring. So that was melted down. My other granddad's wedding ring was melted down. Some of my grand's earrings or bits of gold were put into it as was some of my mum's bits of gold. Right. And that's all on my finger now. (laughs) And so I basically carry the weight of my family. Every day, I spend most of my day with this hand clutched like that so it doesn't fall off. Because fingers are funny things, aren't they? Because sometimes you have fat fingers. Sometimes you have thin fingers, and there's there's absolutely no reason as to the whys and wherefores. Well, going in cold water, that would explain why your fingers <laughs> yeah. got smaller. Well, and I had an experience when this wedding ring fell off. We went to Centre Parks, and they have this thing called the Rapids, where you, on your body, you you slide down this outside area. Yeah. And and as we went round one bit, and I was with my friend Biana, and we got to this bit, and there's, there's sort of these funny little whirlpools, and my ring fell off. And I was like, oh, God, I've dropped my ring. And how he did it, I've got no idea. But he literally went, stuck his hand in the water, went, there you go. Oh, my word. And by the time we kind of, we (laughs) we floating on all the time, got to the end and he was like, we must never mention that this has happened. (laughs) And you must never go near water again. Absolutely. So now whenever I go anywhere, so we went on holiday recently and I love going snorkelling. And my wife, all she ever says is, don't lose your ring. 
and she's fearing that I'm going to bring her another cheap bottle of wine. Mm. I think that's that's what is at the end of all of this. But but now my wedding ring, which like I say, it is. I'm pretty sure it could solve some sort of plumbing incident <laughs> somewhere. Where when we have a drippy tap, we'll we will put this in and it'll be fine. Oh, it's but a lovely now, idea though. What a great idea yeah. to take those things because actually they would sit around in a drawer, wouldn't they? Exactly. For a long time. Yeah. And you would and eventually somebody would almost forget what they were. But the fact that you've got them all there, and then in a way it becomes part of your thing as well. It's your ring yeah. with all their little bits of gold in it. Yeah. I just hope nobody does it with that, otherwise somebody's going to have to go for a bangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or hoopy earrings. Yes, maybe that's maybe. the next look that I will be adopting uh, with the next bit of gold. If it makes you feel any better, 45 years my wife and I have been together, this is my fifth <laughs> wedding ring. We made the mistake of, first of all, being very bohemian. She liked the idea of not gold, jade. And the first time I went on stage, I slammed my hand down on a desk and it just shattered. So that was the first one gone. Oh, gosh. And then I also lost another one. I left it in a drawer at a theatre. And that weekend, Ralph McTell of Streets of London fame... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...stayed in my dressing room. Now, I'm not saying that Ralph McTell stole my gold ring, <laughs> but somewhere on the streets of London, there it is. What a great name drop to do with a lost <laughs> ring. That's great. It's a, I think um, it'll be the title of my autobiography. <laughs> I think Ralph McTell stole my ring. I'd read it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I feel better now as well that, that I've still got four in hand. Good. When I go and say to Selena, did she say, how did you go? I said, well, you, you, first thing you need to know is <laughs> there were no bottles of wine involved, but he's lost four. He's on to number five. So. <laughs> but yours, even if it were lost, it would be safely in the time capsule. That's the good yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's where I know it's, it's always going to be. So I, I don't have to clench anymore. <laughs> Which probably is good for my health. So I don't <laughs> okay. know. Anyway. So we've got two left, Simon. Okay. I'm going to put in something that I have never had, but would have loved to have had and probably could have now, but it wouldn't be the same. And that is a Mark I Ford Capri. Oh. What a car. What a stylish motor. The shape of it, the fact that it was a sports car mm. with a Ford badge on the front. My dad had company cars. So we only ever had dull cars, Escorts and Cortinas, and not even the good, cool Cortinas like they had in the Sweeney, the boxy Cortinas that were no good. And they had terrible coloured interiors that were very plasticky. Mm. And my dad was a very lovely man, very quiet and considered. And his his key word would be easy. So he'd say, Dad, what do you fancy? He'd say, oh, I'm easy. <laughs> should we go somewhere? Where should we go? So, oh, oh, I'm easy. He was that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And my uncle Colin, his younger brother, was the cool uncle. And my gran and granddad lived in Southport and Uncle Colin lived there as well. And we lived in Manchester. And so we would go every other Sunday. And one day we got there and Uncle Colin had a Ford Capri. Oh. And it was Mark one. And it was the standard colours that sound terrible when you describe it, but when you look at the picture, you think that works a treat. Yellow with a vinyl roof. Oh, marvellous. And Uncle Colin worked for Jacobs, the biscuit people. And so he would always have a big bag of biscuit seconds. And a car in their colours. Exactly. (laughs) He had a car that was designed like a club biscuit. And so he, he was my cool uncle. He was the fun uncle. And he he brought us chocolate biscuits. And he had a Ford Capri. And I don't even remember even having a ride in it. Mm. But I went in and unlike the cars that we had, where there was one big long back seat, it had sort of two seats at the back. And I honestly Mm. was thinking, wow, this, I mean, this is like, I've seen the future and it's (laughs) it's got a Ford badge on it. This is amazing. (laughs) And so this, this amazing car was always what I thought, right, that's the car than I want. And I obviously, you know, you don't know about supercars when you're only 10, but a Ford Capri would have been the most amazing thing. I was lucky enough to work for a radio station in London in the mid to late 90s. Mm. And the strap line of the radio station was the disco hits of the 70s, a new age of the 80s. (laughs) And so they decided to do a competition where they would give away a Ford Capri. So they bought and knackered old Ford Capri and did it up and had it made perfectly legal for the the current time Mm. as it was. And that was in the car park, the radio station. It was a radio station owned by Mohammed Al-Fayed, bizarrely. Right. And so it was in Knightsbridge. And from my 
studio window, I could luck out to the car park and see the Ford Capri that someone was going to win. And all the while I was thinking, why can I not have that? Could I, yeah. could I, could I, could I just could I take the keys? Would I be able to? But I fear <laughs> if I were to ever drive a Ford Capri, I would think, oh, God, it's that firstly, it's too long. I wouldn't be able to see the end of the bonnet. I'd never be able to park the damn thing. And, and it probably wouldn't be a nice drive based on the current cars that we have with comfy seats and heaters and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. So probably my memory of a Ford Capri is way better than the reality of a Ford Capri. So I'm not going to waste. If I get a lottery win, then I might just see if I can find one on eBay. Yeah. But other than that, uh, you could probably pick them up for not too bad a price. I don't know. I should imagine, you know, I think lots of those cars now are incredibly expensive. I once owned a Mini Cooper, a green racing Mini Cooper with a white stripe down the side. And it was quite old and knackered, but I liked it a lot. I loved driving around in it. Eventually it just became impractical with young children and things. So my neighbour said, well, I'll buy it off you. How much do you want for it? And I said, well, I sold it for a thousand pounds. Now, just recently, I went to uh, Hever Castle in Kent, and there was yep. a car show there, and there were these wonderful minis. And I was standing admiring them, and I said to the man, I used to have one of these. And he said, oh, right, you still got it? I said, no, no, sold it. 25 years ago, £1,000. He went, hmm, do you know what they're worth now? I said, no. He said, 65 grand. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And you can pretend to be in the Italian job well, quite, as you're yes, driving it. I do. So. Do you know, I've never been in a Ford Capri. Well, should I be lucky enough to own one, I will come and pick you up and we'll yeah. go for a drive. And we'll, we'll be going, oh, God, the seats are uncomfortable. This, this <laughs> it's got terrible. no acceleration at all. Yeah. <laughs> the back windscreen is is all misted up. What is this thing? I suppose one of them was an 1100cc, wasn't it, mm. Ford Capri? I think maybe yeah. not in Mark One, but eventually they went up to 1600cc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was still quite a hefty car, wasn't it? Yeah, it wouldn't. It probably wouldn't have handled well as the <laughs> no. miles per gallon would not be. Worth, I'd have had a huge amount of Tiger tokens from the SM garage, probably. <laughs> but a whole collection of 1966 World Cup stickers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and any number of glasses that uh, they used to give away at petrol stations for no apparent reason. <laughs> no, what, what an incredible car. But because I never had one... If there's one in the time capsule, should I feel the urge mm -hmm. to go and have a drive, then I'll know it's there and I can just relive my boyhood fantasies. Wonderful, but don't keep it going for too long because of that leaded petrol. We'd be blumming lucky if it started, is what I'm thinking, <laughs> let alone going, ticking over. I don't think that's going to be happening, no. not at all. Oh, what a great thing to put in there. Okay, sadly, we only have one more thing to go in. Well, this is the thing that I want to get rid of, and this is the journey to every event that I am invited to. Now, this could be an event where I'm going to be working or it could be a wedding or it could be somebody's party. Firstly, you because you're going somewhere important, you're dressed up mm. in clothes that you shouldn't be driving in and you've spent two hours making them look great and you're going to sit and crumple them in a car <laughs> on the way there. And you get into the car and you start the car and we live in a sort of fairly rural kind of place. Mm. So there's always something else on the road that is going slower than I want to be. It might be a tractor pulling something. Uh, it might be the two cars that I've narrowed it down to that are always the problem cars. Forgive me if you have either of these. <laughs> the roundy Nissan Micras, which I think is the Mark II Micra. <laughs> yes. They always go very slowly. And Honda Jazz cars <laughs> always go equally. So especially the, the first ones. And so you're stuck now and then you go, oh, God. I'm never going to get there. And the roads are, you, you can't risk trying to overtake because it's windy and it's dark. And then you do get past and then there's someone on a bike. <laughs> and so they hold you. And, and so there's all of this going on. And I hate being late. So I've, I've given myself lots of extra time. But all the while I'm thinking, God, I'm never going to get there. And there is my own insecurity that is thrown in that for the rest of the journey, even though the road is open ahead of me, I'm thinking, oh, God, why did I say yes mm -hmm. to this? Why did I say that I would do this? Because my worry is that I'm going to get there. And if it's a party or a wedding, I'm not going to know anybody. And I'm going to be the person standing in the corner who nobody talks to. <laughs> and, you know, what, what if my breath smells? And, and then if I'm working, it's, that's the worst one because you think, what if I'm awful? 
I'm going to get there and I'm going to go and do what I'm supposed to do. And they're going to be, oh, he's here. Come on in. Off you go. <laughs> and I'm going to die. And so all of that is going on in my head and that journey to get me there. Now, of course, when you get there, you walk in and you see someone you know and instantly you go, oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. And you have a lovely chat. Or you you go and do the work stuff. And, the, and you've done it many times before and can do it. I can mm-hmm. to varying degrees of success, but I can do it. <laughs> and you get on stage and you do you sort of nervously have forgotten every single thing that you're going to say, all of the funny lines that you come up with, all of the whatever. And then you get the first laugh. I always open with the same gag, which is about, you probably wrote it <laughs> 50 years ago. And it's it's that I'm, I nearly didn't make it here today because I was double booked. I was supposed to be at the conference for sufferers of bad circulation but it got cancelled because the organisers had cold feet. And, <laughs> and and then you either get a chuckle or a groan. And at that point I go, right, it's fine then. Mm. And I can just sort of do what I do and it's fine. But, but up until that moment, all of that preparing at home, getting in the car, the stress of getting there, the, I'm going to get lost. There's going to be nowhere to park. And then you get in. And what if? Mm. And then at that point, it's like, right, it's fine. It's fine. The worst thing that can happen is they don't book me next year, is what <laughs> yes, I think, quite. As, I, as I muddle through whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing. So if there could be some way of just missing out on that, if I could just magically be in the bathroom, squirting the deodorant on, <laughs> checking my hair's all right, and then... I'm there. I'm on. Then that would be great. Yes, or if they could all come to you. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want people at the house. Good God, no. No, then you have to do the washing up after when they've gone. As, oh, how many drinks can we do? But no, that journey there, even in a Mark I Ford Capri, mm. would still be hell. No, I think it probably almost would certainly be hell in one of those. Yeah, yeah no, get rid of that. Uh, no, I understand that. It's strange, isn't it, that we have these fears. I have them. Every now and again, my wife will notice she says with me, all I do is I go quiet. And she says, you're right. And I say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking. She said, but you're well prepared. You know what you're doing. And you've done it many times before. Why are you worried? And I think, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe that's a good thing. I think if you ever become complacent about these things and think that it's fine, I don't even have to worry about it. That's when it will go wrong. Yeah. Well, also, I've seen enough interviews with way more talented people than I could ever aspire to be. And they have bad days. And you think, well, you know, it happens to the best of them. So, and it's happened to me. And of course it has. And and it will happen again, I'm sure. But nothing quite takes away that sort of fear of, why did they ask me? Why did I say yes? What was I thinking? So, yeah, no, get rid of that and I'll be happy. When I was trying to think of what I wanted to put into the capsule, one of the things that I was thinking that I should put in is the moment before a musical starts (laughs) and in that you've got the orchestra tuning up, Mm. then it all goes dark and quiet and then the overture comes in. And that lovely moment, when I left school, because again, nobody, the, the careers in broadcasting didn't exist. I went to the careers office who said, well, the only thing we've got in show business is there's a youth training scheme in a theatre. Would you like to do that? Now, I'd, I'd seen a panto, but I hadn't ever been to the theatre. And I worked at the Library Theatre Company in Manchester. Wow. Um, for whatever reason, they got all of the Sondheim premieres. <laughs> so I held a door open for Stephen Sondheim once. But that's my big musical claim to fame. I had no concept of theatre. And to be in a theatre and to be in the wings mm. and to see the reality and then to be working on, I did Gypsy and we they did Merrily We Roll Along and Amazing. Tracy Bennett was in it and she was just the most incredible. Yeah, yeah, she's a performer fantastic performer. Oh, wow. just, wow. and we did Follies and Amazing. the European programme of that. So to have kind of been and seen all of that, and obviously no, no acting skills, abilities or <laughs> potential, but that is a lovely thing again, that kind of the just backstage and the yeah when it all goes quiet but also you're absolutely right that little moment that little moment just yeah. before it all starts where in fact the audience sense it's going to happen and they go yeah. quiet i've only ever done panto so it's kind of not quite the same but i would always be standing in the wings just for that moment when it starts because that's the magic isn't it yeah, yeah. it's a lovely thing yeah so. fantastic but how funny you've had such a fabulous career and i think that you've gone absolutely where you wanted to be when you think of you as a young boy talking between the gramophone records and there you are every day doing exactly that 
And here you are, married with a very heavy wedding ring. You're never going to escape. You can't. You can't run away. She knows you can't yeah. run away. You've got that weight. It's like wearing a pair of shackles. That's what I think. Yeah. Maybe a Ford Capri would help, but it wouldn't help that much. You know, you've got children. You've now got a grandchild, and everything is fine. I think. I think you've done exactly what you should have done with your life. So I think, well done. Congratulations on achieving everything. But uh, hang on a minute, I've just got a phone call and uh, I think this is going to mess everything up. Oh, my word. Oh, it's um, the Broccoli Foundation. They're saying that the part is available if you're interested. Done. I mean... I look forward very much to the name is Parkin. Simon Parkin. Yeah. Forget the Aston Martin. Give me a Ford Capri. <laughs> That'll be fine. Yes. OK. Simon, how lovely to see you and how lovely of you to do this for me. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm such a fan of the podcast, so to be on it is lovely. And also bless you for letting us do it by Zoom because had we met in real life, I would have spent the entire journey going... God, he's going to hate me. <laughs> Why did he ask me? What is this? All <laughs> there you are. I saved you all that angst. Excellent. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, James Bond. Oh, no, Simon Parkin. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you have any other spare time, then do rate or review the show on the podcast provider of your choice. And you can save yourself time by subscribing to this podcast so we can send you all the new episodes as they're released. Thanks. If you want to contact us, then our email is mytimecapsulepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. You might even have a suggestion for future guests, which we're always glad to hear, I promise. If you think you might miss us, then you can download or stream the theme tune by Pass the Peas Music from Spotify. And then you can just carry us around with you. This was a cast-off production for Acast, and it was deftly edited and produced by John Fenton Stevens. And that's all from me, you'll be delighted to hear. But you can always tune in to Radio Somerset and listen to Simon any morning you fancy. It's a strange job, isn't it, being a DJ? Sitting in a studio, talking into a microphone to people who may not even be there. <laughs> not the life for me, obviously. Ah, although it does remind me of the great Stephen Wright joke. So that's good. Stephen famously said, I've got a friend who's a DJ. Problem is, every time he walks under a bridge, you can't hear him. Oh, I wish I'd written that. You will, Oscar, you will. Name that quote. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.